This morning, our New Testament uh, passage, we've already heard. Uh, it's Luke chapter 2, very familiar words for us about the birth of Jesus and the announcement of the angels to the shepherds. We will come back to that story in a little bit, um, but um, we're not going to reread it. I think it is fresh in our minds in a really beautiful way. Uh, so instead, I want to tell you the story this morning of an experiment that was done in 1954 in a place called Robbers Cave State Park in Oklahoma. This is actually a, a somewhat well-known study or experiment. Maybe you heard about it in, your, in a psychology or sociology class at one point. Um, Robbers Cave State Park, 1954, was the site of an experiment that involved two groups of 11 and 12-year-old boys. So these boys were told they were going to like a regular summer camp, but their parents were told that in fact they were going to be part of this psychological study. Uh, the study lasted about three weeks, and roughly the first week, the two groups of boys were kept completely separate. So they didn't even know the other group was there, and they did things to bond as a team, right? So they played games together, and they ate meals together, you know, they bunked together in the cabins, uh, and began to create some, some sort of positive group identity, and they even made up some names for themselves. One group started calling themselves the Eagles, the other group independently started calling themselves the Rattlers. I feel like Eagles are better than Rattlers, but that's not really the point. Uh, so, at the very end of that week, they are told, hey, there's another group of boys here. Immediately, the researchers noticed that when they started talking about the other group of boys, um, each group got um, sort of territorial. Well, it's our camp. What are they doing here? This is our summer. What, what's this other group doing here? Right? The second week, the researchers did all they could to create conflict between these two groups of boys. Now, I, I, should, I should say that these boys were very intentionally selected, okay? So they came um, from what appeared to be stable families. These were all boys that did well in school. They seemed to be, you know, kids with good heads on their shoulders. Uh, they also didn't know each other before they arrived, so they just had this one week of bonding. Then in the second week, the researchers set up all of these um, competitions, things like, hey, we're going to play baseball tomorrow, and the team that wins gets a double portion of dessert, and the team that loses gets no dessert but gets to watch the other team eat the dessert they would have gotten, right? Like really awful, horrible things. Uh, and, and the boys got unbelievably competitive. Uh, and in fact, it, it became so um, confrontational that they started going beyond just the sport. So um, the Eagles took their flag and they planted it in the baseball field one night. And the next night, the Rattlers came along and burned the flag down. Uh, and then the next day, the Eagles went into the Rattlers' um, cabin when they were gone and trashed the place and actually stole some things. Uh, they tried to have them have meals together, and they had these huge food fights, um, name-calling, and actually the researchers had to physically separate boys sometimes because they wanted to just go at it. Right? Remember, these are well-adjusted kids who have, been, have known their group for one week, um, but something about that identity they formed um, together and also 
in contrast to the other, was so incredibly significant to them that these good kids were ready to throw down over baseball games and extra dessert. Uh, we're going to come back to Robber's Cave and that camp in a minute. Um, but, but I want to point out that something really interesting is going on here. I think that we very often form our identity um, based on what groups we associate with, right? We do this in all kinds of obvious ways. Uh, big groups, right? I am an American, and that's a big group I'm a part of. It means I'm not a Russian. I'm not a North Korean, right? And I define myself partly by the group I'm in and partly by the groups I'm not in. Uh, I am a Christian, and therefore I'm not an atheist, right? And there's a group I'm in and a group I'm not in. I'm a boy, and therefore I'm not a girl, right? We, we have all of these um, aspects of our identity around which we kind of form who we are, these group associations. This is particularly relevant for teenagers, uh, and there's a ton of research that says these 11, 12-year-old boys are normal, right, that we uh, as teenagers form our identity by the groups we associate with, right? Uh, I'm the kind of kid that fits in with other kids that are good at school. I'm the kind of kid that fits in with kids that enjoy joking around and cutting up in the back of class and don't really care about school. I'm the kind of kid that fits in with folks that love sports. I'm the kind of kid that fits in with folks that love video games. I'm the kind of kid that fits in with kids that go to youth group. I'm the kind of kid that doesn't go to youth group, right? And we just form these identities around these group associations. And uh, literally, it can come down to who we sit at a table with in the lunchroom, right? We are who we eat with. By the way, this is not something that's just relevant for teenagers or kids. It's true for adults. Um, I read a really, uh, heard about a really interesting book by a guy named Robert Talisi, called Overdoing Democracy, and he talked about the state of, you know, the sort of pol political polarization of our nation, and he says, you know, in general, we're not more politically divided than we were in the 80s and 90s, but our politics now touch more aspects of our lives than they used to touch. So he said, for example, if in general you are the sort of person that likes to go to Starbucks to get your coffee you are probably, statistically, more likely to be a Democrat uh, because Starbucks has more like international-themed, like cosmopolitan-named coffees. And if you are the sort of person that likes to go to Dunkin' Donuts to get your coffee, you are statistically more likely to be Republican, right? Because America runs on Dunkin' and it's this kind of thing. Um, by the way, uh, I get my sweet tea from McDonald's, so I'm an independent. Um, <laughs> Uh, this, this book points out all the different ways that our politics, um, our group identity, um, have slipped into other aspects of our lives, what we drive and what we wear, and um, you are who you eat with. Uh, and, and one of the aspects uh, of our political climate, but also of our experience as teenagers, also of these kids at Rogers Co uh, Robber's Cave, um, is a phenomenon that we call belief polarization. Belief polarization is what occurs when we are largely gathered around people who share our beliefs. We tend to become more certain of our truths, more dismissive of other positions, and more convinced our positions are right. 
because we are not exposed to other people and ideas. All of this is really interesting, um, but there's nothing new about it. Nothing new about any of this stuff. This group identity stuff goes all the way back to the beginning. We see it in our story today in Luke chapter 2. We we see it because they are part of the group called the Roman Empire, um, but they're not really the in crowd in the group. Uh, And so they're the part of the group that have to go to the regions to be taxed. Uh, And Mary and Joseph are part of a very particular group, the house in the line of David. That's their identity. So they go to their hometown where people like them gather together who have that same identity and culture, um, and they come together as this group, and being of that line means you're not of another. Being the marginalized people in the empire means you're not the powerful people in the empire. This idea of group identity goes back even further than that. It goes back to the first group in the Bible. And that's the story of the Tower of Babel. The first time we have a people come together to do something, um, come, let us build bricks and let us make a city and let us make a tower with its head in the heavens. We, we have at the very beginning of Scripture the first place of group identity, the first place we begin to define ourselves um, by um, a collective And yet, um, even though that seems kind of like a good thing, in this moment it's not good. In this moment, God says, hey, I'm going to shake up this group. Uh, One other important thing about the the robber's cave experiment. So, three weeks. First week, form your groups. Second week, fight between the groups. Third week, they wanted to say, hey, how do we get these people to come back together? How do we get it to the point where they stop fighting and can be friends considering they've only been in conflict for six days? And what they came up with was what they called superordinate causes. A superordinate cause or task is a really, really big one. They said, okay, boys, we got to stop the baseball games for a little bit because water to the camp has been cut off. And if we can't fix it, we're going to have to send you all home. We need you guys to fan out and be part of this process and help us restore water to the camp. Uh, Another day, they had a truck um, that was carrying food to the camp, and it got stuck um, on the way to camp. And they said, boys, we need you to help get the truck to camp so we can have food and eat together today. They came up with these big major projects, and they said, hey, this is how we're going to unite you together around something that's a shared goal and task and purpose. And it, and it actually worked. Um, those big goals brought people together. And, and that's kind of what's happening here in Genesis chapter 11, right? The people are coming together around a really big goal. Um, this is really an important idea. Uh, the, God divides the people up, not because He's opposed to people being united. In fact, Scripture is pretty clear. One of the central goals of God's plan of salvation is to reunite us as one human family. God divides them because um, God's not so much interested in whether we are united as He is around what we unite about. What brings us together is what God cares about. So the people come together because they want to make a tower, a city and a tower whose head reaches the heavens. 
Uh, so there's two things in this story that help to make sense of it. Um, one is we've got to understand what this sort of tower is. So this would have been what we call a ziggurat, okay? Everybody say ziggurat. It's just a really good word. Um, I actually have a picture of a couple ziggurats. So uh, this one is uh, partially restored. The, it's called the ziggurat of Ur, one of the most famous. And um, it gives you a little bit of sense of, of what this sort of structure might have been like. And then I've got one more picture. This is uh, actually from a video game, but it's an artist's rendering of the ziggurat of Ur, okay? Um, and, and I want you to notice, leave it up for a second. I want you to notice a couple things. The first is a ziggurat is not a pyramid. In Egypt, the pyramids are hollow, and inside them are rooms and burial chambers. A ziggurat, there's nothing inside that, okay? Just just what you see. Um, A ziggurat is also not a temple, okay? So a temple is a place where you go to worship God. That's not what a ziggurat was. A ziggurat is basically a staircase, okay? Quite simply, it's a giant staircase. At the top of that staircase, there's a little room, uh, and that room is where um, the God that you are worshiping can come down and stay, or perhaps where you can meet with Him, I guess in, in their tradition or her, uh, and before they go back up. But, but the idea of a ziggurat was quite simply to make a staircase for the gods to get to heaven and us to, the gods get to earth and us to get to heaven, right? That's it. It's a pathway between them. The, the second detail, you can take the ziggurat down, thank you. The second detail you need to know in this story, it's, boy, sometimes um, there are just little things that are so significant. We're told um, that the Lord came down. Ooh, when does the Lord come down? Right after the ziggurat is made. Isn't that interesting? They make a tower so God can come down the stairs, and immediately He does. The Lord came down to see the city and the tower which mortals had built. It doesn't say mortals in the Bible. It says the sons of Adam. Uh, and, and we are supposed to recognize a distinction between the sons of Adam trying to get up to heaven here in chapter 11 and the sons of God who came down from heaven in chapter 6 before the flood to mate with human women. And in both of those stories, we're getting this idea of the wrong way to unite not just people but heaven and earth, right? That in both of these stories, the humans and the angels are trying to come together and leave God out of it. And in both situations, God says, no, this isn't good. I want you to unite, but what you unite around will define you. One of my favorite movies in high school was a little film called The Breakfast Club. Some of you have seen The Breakfast Club. Uh, if you're not familiar with it, the, the idea of The Breakfast Club is really simple. There are five very different students, each kind of representing a stereotype, that are put into Saturday detention. One kid is like the nerdy, smart kid. He's the brain. One girl is the preppy, popular, rich girl. She's the princess. Um, there's the athletic jock kid, and there's a kid who's a rebel or a criminal, and then there's a kid who's sort of, her life is in crisis. They call her the basket case. The assignment they receive upon entering Saturday detention is to write an essay about who they think they are. 
And as the movie goes on, they begin to befriend each other despite their different group identities, and, and they come together. And this is the very end of the movie when we hear a voiceover of the essay they wrote. Will you play that for me? Dear Mr. Vernon, we accept the fact that we had to sacrifice a whole Saturday in detention for whatever it was we did wrong. But we think you're crazy to make us write an essay telling you who we think we are. You see us as you want to see us. In the simplest terms, in the most convenient definitions. But what we found out is that each one of us is a brain. And an athlete. And a basket case. A princess. And a criminal. Does that answer your question? Sincerely yours, The Breakfast Club. Don't, 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 don't you forget about me. Okay, one of the great endings of one of the great movies. Not a child-appropriate movie, by the way. Um, if, you've, if you've seen this movie... Um, it's hard not get to this ending and be excited about it, right? Yeah, they came together. They overcame their group differences, and they, they made something new. Now they're, now they're the breakfast club. Problem with this film is um, what they come together around is not really great, right? So they come together around the fact that they all like doing drugs. They come together around the fact that they are all frustrated with their parents, they come together around the fact that they all struggle with their own identity and who they are and who they're supposed to be. And at the end of the movie, as awesome as this film is and as much as I loved it when I was a high schooler, they've really traded one inadequate group identity for another. They tried to find something bigger than themselves, um, but I think in the end, they've just changed hats. It's great that they came together but life isn't about being united. It's about what we unite around. We are always tempted to, to be satisfied with lesser unity. Right? We're always tempted to say, hey, we can come together. We can be united around something that is not as um, grand perhaps as what God has in mind, but really might meet our needs. Uh, we, we do this by changing um, friendship groups or by changing places where we work or by moving across the country, we do it by, um, we, we do it by changing what sport team we play with or what clique we hang out with in school. Um, there are group identities that we once thought were immutable, right? We used to think that when you're a boy, you're always a boy. When you're a girl, you're always a girl. And now people change that. Um, all of those changes miss the idea, right? that swapping one inadequate group identity for another will never satisfy our hearts or our souls. This is what the people in the Tower of Babel miss. But there is one regroup that can do what none of those can accomplish. There's one place we can regroup around that isn't trading one inadequate option for another, but is truly a superordinate good, something bigger than ourselves, something bigger than anything that we can imagine. And that place of unity is announced on another plane, not a plane in Shinar, but a plane in Judea. We saw it this morning where shepherds and angels come together around the birth of Jesus. 
Regrouping around Jesus is the only place where humans can trade their divisions for unity, not a slightly better group identity, but a divinely ordained one. Regrouping around Jesus is the only place where we can truly find something that is deeper than all the other groups we've tried to associate with. Paul says in Christ there is no longer Jew or Greek, there is no longer slave or free, there is no longer male and female, for all of you are one in Christ Jesus. Grouping around Jesus is quite literally the only place where heaven and earth can come together, where sons of God, the angels, and the sons of Adam, us, can be united around the Son of God who became the Son of Man. Scripture says, for in Him, Jesus, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through Him God was pleased to reconcile to Himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, by making peace through the blood of His cross. See, this is what we need and our world needs. We need a superordinate good. We need something that's bigger than all of the things that we can imagine, uh, a goal and a purpose and a unity that's rooted not in our best efforts, um, but in God's Son, the only real solid ground for a real fresh start. And, and the experience of the church regrouping around Jesus happens all the time. It happens on Sunday morning when we come to worship. It happens on Wednesday nights when we gather for classes. It happens when we do Bible study. It happens when we pray around the dinner table before we eat. But there are some times when we get to come together as a church or as a community and regroup around Jesus that are particularly impactful. Um, we talked a little bit about the, the Robbers Cave camp experience. I want to talk about a, a CCPC camp experience. Uh, and to do that, I'm actually going to invite uh, a family up. With the Fenimores, um, would you guys come join me up here for just a minute? Um, so, Amanda mentioned earlier this morning that we are going to do a family mission camp in August of this coming year. Come be brave and stand in the manger with me, okay? You don't have to sit in the manger, just hang out. <laughs> Um, and uh, as I think about that experience we're going to do in August, um, I, I get really excited about what it means to come together and do church and do life and do family united around Jesus. And I think this is one place, not the only place, one place we get to do that. So these guys um, went with us on our last family mission camp pre-COVID, and they were brave enough and kind enough to come up and share a little bit about um, what that experience was like. So I'm going to give, I don't know who wants that first. Um, so Joel or Stephanie, would you just share a little bit about why you decided to do our family mission camp last time we did it, and what was it about that group that you wanted to be a part of? Well, we, um, we decided we wanted to go because we like the people that went with us. They're our friends, um, we, they're our family, and we like being with them. Um, and Joel and I were talking yesterday um, about why we went on that trip, and it's always great to do, you know, we come to church, we do something for a few hours, but getting away from the regular um, routine of life, um, something immersive for a couple days, um, focused on worship and on faith, you know, it gets you out of your comfort zone, and that was really important to us, and that was really important for us to um, expose our children to that. Yeah, love it. Awesome. Yeah. Um, uh, oh, <laughs> You, you want to add in? It's good. 
Yeah. She did a good job. She did a good job, yeah. 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 I just wanted to say, yeah, you guys are a family. We, we yeah. uh, pray together, we laugh together, sometimes we cry together. But um, a trip like this, it's, it's different. Um, I got to hang out with Jeff Kibler. We just sat on the beach and talked once. Yeah. And it's, it's the small stuff like that. It was like a family vacation. Awesome. Love it. So, uh, boys, maybe, Sam, would you share something, just one thing you remember? You were pretty young when we did this last time. Um, one thing that you remember that was fun or interesting that from, from your camp experience? Basically, the only thing I remember was packing the food. Yeah, awesome. Okay, that was really cool. So, I don't know if everybody remember, Do you remember that as well, Josh, what we did with the food? Can you explain a little bit of what we did? Because you were a little older with the food packing. Um, so, basically, what we did was we um, grabbed, like, rice and beans and put them in bags. Yeah, right. So, we packed 10,000 meals um, for folks in the two-thirds world who need food. It's a ministry called Rise Against Hunger, and they take those meals to schools to incentivize kids who maybe wouldn't get food otherwise going to school. So then they also get an education along with food. It's a really neat thing. That was one of our like five or six service products we did, but one of my favorite as well. That was awesome. I love it. I love it. Uh, so uh, Joel or Stephanie, how does an experience like this help your family regroup around Jesus, around the church? Yeah, so um, I, I think the question, when you sent it to us, it also had a question about how is it different than doing like the everyday yeah. um, the service projects, which are, are fantastic and important work, doing work in the food pantry and stuff. That's important stuff. That's everyday stuff that we need to do. But um, when I think about uh, what we do as a family, what our schedule looks like, it's uh, we, we work, when work is done, then I have to go pick up the kids, then we have to eat, and then it's, okay, it's, it's piano lessons, it's come to church on Wednesday night, it's, um, it's whatever, you know, it's, it's what's next. We're always thinking about what's next. But um, for me personally, uh, a trip like this helps me to reset. It helps me get away from uh, that routine and help me focus on what's best instead oh, of what's next. That's great. I love it. Love it. Awesome. Um, I am so excited and thankful that you guys um, were willing to share a little bit of your experience. Hey, are you coming? Are you going to go again in August? Okay, fantastic. Me too. I'll see you there. Um, hey, can we, uh, can we thank the Fenimores for sharing a little bit this morning? Thanks, guys. You're going to have a seat. Uh, I, I think this idea, so simple but so critical for us as the people of God, is to recognize um, that we're called to, oh, I love that, not think about what's next but what's best, um, to, to get away and reconnect with each other and with Christ. Um, this is not the only way to do it, one of many great ways, but I wonder what the world would be like if we had a community that... Um, used belief polarization uh, to become more gracious and more forgiving and more compassionate and placing a higher value on the intrinsic worth of every person because they believed God had placed a high value on their worth. What if we found um, opportunities in our daily lives and our weekly schedule and the course of our year to come together around the Son of God who became the Son of Man? What if all humans and even all angels could be reconciled to God and through each other 
through Jesus Christ. I think that's what the church is supposed to be. It's supposed to be a place where we unite around Jesus, an echo chamber of grace and mercy and forgiveness and love. So what we celebrate this week, what we celebrate on this coming Sunday for Christmas Eve and Christmas Day is uh, an invitation, an invitation to angels and to shepherds, an invitation to women and to men, an invitation to brains and jocks and princesses and basket cases and rebels regroup around Jesus and find a fresh start with Him. Thanks be to God. Amen.